Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 The Bronx. Com, proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019, 21, 22, and 2023 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station, as well as a winner of the 2023 IBS College Media Award for colleges under 10,000 students, as well as a nominee for the 10 categories of the 2024 IBS Media Awards. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios on the campus of Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411. I am your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and your perspective. Today, we are going to try to accomplish those tasks because I'm going to have a conversation um, with two students, Dan Geller and Josh Brewer, who are going to be our student producers for this segment. And we are going to talk about something that's been in the news relatively recently. It's the recent uh, FDA approval of... Um, gene therapies to treat people with sickle cell disease. And there's a, one of those that I want to uh, um, concentrate on. It's the one that uses a technique called Casper-Cas9, which is something that uh, long ago we, we did a program on and talked about what it is. But what's interesting about this is that this is the first FDA, the Food and Drug Administration here in the United States, approval of a therapy to treat sickle cell disease. So that's going to give us two things to talk about um, and sort of discuss in the context of Health 411. Um, hey, guys, which one do you want to do first? So wait, there, there's never been an in a, an FDA-approved treatment for sickle cell before? There are other treatments, but they have not involved gene editing techniques. Um, there are there are there are treatments that uh, that, that they'll they'll do like um, like blood thinner related. Uh, well, 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 sort of two things. There's there are treatments that allow um, uh, increases. So sickle cell disease happens, which is one of the things we want to talk about, because the, some of the red blood cells acquire unusual shapes to have unusual hemoglobin, and then they have trouble getting to target organs, getting through the microvasculature. So there are treatments that use sort of things that are going to dilate the microvasculature to allow more blood flow through, like you know hydroxyurea kind of drugs. There's also um, allergenic transplants that are used uh, where you can get stem cell donors, right? to sort of do those things. So there are treatments so out there. Is that allogenic? So you're, you're Yeah, from something else, from, um, yeah. Like a pig or something? No, like another human, another dude. Another human, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know we have like pig heart transplants these days. Yeah, no, so no, 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 something like that. So, but these are, but, so these are gene therapy treatments. Um, and so it's the idea is that you, and we, what we're gonna talk about, well, so, let, so let, there's two things I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. One is what is sickle cell disease? And then is what is the Casper Case 9 gene editing technique, which is a technique that is actually sort of cool because it, it was um, um, 
discovered, I want to say, in the, you know, in, in this, this century. So it's recent. It's so, it's, so, it's, recent. so it's academically recent kinds of things, and it ha actually has a very interesting history. Um, there's a history to sickle cell disease, too. Right, which mm -hmm. we know that the Josh is aware of. So those are two things that we want to talk about. But which one you want to do first? I, we can go either way on this. Let's start with sickle cell. What is sickle cell? Okay. What do you guys have? You guys, you know, sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia? What have you guys heard about this? What do you guys know? Um, I believe it. It was originally a mutation that helped a lot with m malaria in Africa. Um, well, well, so when you say it's a mutation that helped with malaria, what does that mean to somebody listening? Um. You could probably explain it a little bit better, but I think it had something <laughs> to do you, with... Uh, student Josh, I'm asking you. Yeah, I believe the, the parasite couldn't enter the red blood cells that were yeah. sickle cell. So, right. There's, so malaria is a parasitic disease, and as part of the life cycle of the malarian parasite, it uses red blood cells um, to sort of replicate and do that kind of stuff. Now... It only uses red blood cells that have like normal shape or say normal hemoglobin in them kinds of things. And so there was a, at some point in ancient history in malaria rich areas, which are which are historically aware. Africa mostly. Yeah, right. Yeah, right this subcontinent of Africa. Um, Malaria was killing a lot of people. It probably still kills a lot of people. But random, random genetic variation, some humans were born um, with these unusually shaped red blood cells that interfered with the life cycle of malaria, so these people didn't get sick and died from, die from the malarian parasite. Um, and so a small number of those people reproduced to pass on these sort of genes. Um, which was great because if you have, if you were homozygous for these genes and you had these, you know, sickle cells, you, you know, would eventually die like we all do. But you would get to reproductive age and you can breed and you can get more offspring who were resistant, resistant to the malarian parasite. Well, wasn't it that if you're heterozygous for the sickle cell mutation, then you'd you'd have a relatively normal life, but the you'd be resistant to malaria. But the homozygous you, mutation would kill you. Yeah. Uh, yes. That, okay. Yes. You're absolutely right. Uh, so enough of these genes were passed on to the next generation that it's still, even though, like in the, here in the United States, we, there, malaria um, is not sort of a, a pop problem for the population, but these genes still exist in the gene pool, primarily of people who are of African descent, right? And because of that, oxygen often is, has trouble getting to target organs, and people have like um, um, problems, you know, re related to that, and, and it, it, it's sort of a nasty thing. So the idea is if you could change the genes in these people, maybe you could get them to make red blood cells and get them to make the kind of hemoglobin, which is a protein inside the red blood cells that helps carry oxygen, and there's different forms of it, you know, um, to uh, deliver oxygen to the organs we're supposed to do by, by fixing that. And the idea is if you could fix that genetic mutation, these people might be able to make their own healthy red blood cells and be healthy. Do people with sickle cell only make sickle cell cells? Like, is it only their, all of their? No, I think I think I think I think there's a there's a combination of them. But I think that's one of the reasons that people with sickle cell disease go in and out of having these episodes, um, and so they're, they're called vasoocclusive uh, events. Yes, or vaso -occlusive that's the, that's that's the word I'm looking for. Yes. Uh, so you don't have them all the time, but you have these episodes where they get very very bad and. Kinds it of causes things. a lot of pain throughout the entire body. 
and it, it, it it's really difficult. I I've had some EMS calls, or I've read about some EMS calls with that. People so with that, you, yeah. I, I imagine, um, yeah, it's like an ice cream headache all over your body. Oh God, don't even get. Yeah, that would that would be a sort of a, a nasty kind of thing. Um, but the interesting thing about it is it has been studied, and they know it's a genetic mutation. They they have an idea of where like where in the genome it's happening. They can track families that have this in them. So all those like characteristic kinds of things make it a good target for gene therapy kinds of stuff. Makes sense? Very interesting topic. Well, it can be, especially if you um, have it. But um, the, but the other part of it that we want to talk about is, you know, what is this Casper case nine? Well, Casper is a, 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 a long word um, that stands for a clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. Hence CRISPR, and then, <laughs> and then um, the neat thing is, is uh, uh, Cas9 is CRISPR associated protein nine, which is a classic thing, and people won two women scientists actually in 2020 won Nobel prizes in 2020 in 2020, so very very recently for something that was only discovered in the early 2000s. Uh, but you know, Nobel prizes have been dialed out for this technique, um, and it's been used in a lot of different ways. Uh, what is CRISPR-Cas9? CRISPR-Cas9. Do any of you know the sort of the history of it? You're shaking your heads. Josh says no. Molecular. Dan's going to make something up. Molecular scissors. <laughs> yeah, that's the best yeah, way yeah. to describe it. Well, um, how did these? What's the history of these molecular scissors? Well, these molecular scissors were sort of discovered in. Uh, prokaryotic organisms like bacteria. These are people doing basic science, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, studying these weird enzymes and things going like that. And what some people realized, to make a long story short, is bacteria have sort of their own kind of immune system. It's not like an immune system like we have because they're singular cellular sort of organisms, but they have the ability to, when they are infected by a virus, right, to sort of encode and if they're ever, if they survive, if they're ever able to be infected with that virus again, they have a mechanism to try to neutralize it to promote their own survival. And people discovered that it, that involves some of these enzymes and some of the enzymes are proteins, but it contains CRISPR and Cas9 as sort of others and, you know, alone in, in combination with other things. And people discovered these bacteria have sort of their own little immune system that sort of can cut pieces of genetic material. And that is sort of the basis. And we're going to take a break for underwriting announcements. And I'll sort of tell you a little bit more of the history of that. And then we will connect it again to what's known of uh, sickle cell disease. So we'll be right back with Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far 
no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing medicine 107.7 the bronc and 107.7 thebronc.com we're recording from the digital bronc studios welcome back to health 411 we're continuing our conversation with josh brewer and dan geller the students who are joining me in the studio to talk about the recent fda approval of gene editing techniques to treat sickle cell disease in the end of the last segment, we were talking about CRISPR and Cas9 um, as being sort of sort of the the things that bacteria, these prokaryotic um, organisms, have um, in them. What's interesting is eukaryotic and viral viruses do not have this sort of enzymatic machinery which is sort of interesting because it, it suggests that the proteins that are associated, uh, you know, the Cas9 proteins and the CRISPR sequences, you can use these tools from these, pro these bacterial, like prokaryotic organisms in unique ways in other kinds of cells. Um, and it, it, it's sort of interesting. And, um, and there's, you know, you can go into the details of it. Um, the two women, I looked at their, their names, just if anybody who won the Nobel Prize, Emmanuel uh, Charpentier and Jennifer Duda, Dudna, um, uh, won the Nobel Prize for sort of discovering this and using these tools from bacteria to edit eukaryotic cells and edit the genome of eukaryotic cells. And there's two ways that that is sort of done. You can edit the genome of eukaryotic cells to delete a gene that was in there. You can, and that's called non-homologous um, uh, end joining kind of technique. Or you can do homologous direct repair, which is you can repair a defective gene or insert by, by inserting like a new gene or a fixed gene into that, into that sort of spot. So these CRISPR gene editing techniques, which evolved in nature to help protect bacteria from viral infections, and that can work because bacteria are big, viruses not. Josh is nodding because I know he was in a class that they did that whole size thing, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, why do we have to know about the size of these, of these cells? <laughs> it's important. Yeah, <laughs> size is every, important. Every cell has like millions of viruses on it. Well, yeah, that's, that's right. But anyway, you have these, you know, CRISPR kinds of things where the Cas9 protein can sort of open up the, the, the DNA um, in a cell. And then you ha can, if you can identify the start thing, you can actually insert, you know, corrected DNA there. And that's connected to um, the, the, the people who have sickle cell disease. Because, so I'm doing a lot of talking. So how can this sort of immune, this evolved immune thing that bacteria can do, how do you connect it to like humans who have sickle cell disease? Um, if there was a way, and looks like finally the FDA approved a way to, of taking out the gene for the altered hemoglobin and putting in um, a way of making normal hemoglobin, then 
you could basically just cure the disease. Yeah, right. I mean, patients would have to, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's, so the idea would be you take out people's uh, red blood cells of the defective hemoglobin, you do this technique on those cells and you can put those cells back in. In order for that to take place though, the patients would still have to undergo some like immunosuppressive therapy to sort of knock out you know, the bone marrow cells that are making the defective stuff. But you're, but you're absolutely right. The idea is that if you could correct a genetic sequence, you could put it into people and they can cure a disease. And they've been doing this sort of on people. It didn't go right from bacteria to people. There were, you know, 20 or 30 years of research of people doing, first of all, figuring out how it works, how to manipulate it, how to do it um, in plants, in, in mice, in zebrafish, and fruit flies. Um, it's so great because you could do this in a biology lab at a college. I've done, like, we, we do this in bio. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. What I mean? It's, it's become an established technique. Dr. Drawbridge here on the Ryder campus. She does, loves it. She does it in, like, in Xenopus and other kinds of critters because what it's essentially a tool. It's become a scientific tool where you can change the genome of a living cell or a living organism and have that those cells express proteins that it couldn't do before or altered proteins. And from that, you can see what the protein function is. What does an organism do um, if the protein is made inactive? What happens, what happens to an organism if the protein is changed? You can use it to insert like fluorescent proteins that cells when they get active can light up. Um, I don't know how you were using it, Dan, That's but what the, we did. The, we, that those are the kind of general bacteria. And then we made it, it was the GPF, GFP right. protein. So this story is a great story of how people, so there's different kinds of science. There's basic science, there's applied science, and then there's like clinical kinds of science. A lot of people who are unaware of how the science process, process works is like, why are scientists studying bacteria? Why are study, scientists studying viruses? That has nothing to do with me. You got these weird, you know, sometimes they even study bacteria that, you know, live in like thermal vents and stuff like that. Why are they wasting their time doing that? Which is such a cool topic too. It, it is a cool topic. But the idea is that things that are learned in these other kinds of life on our planet you can argue about whether viruses are alive or not. But things that are learned in other organisms on our planet can sometimes be used in ways that are clinically relevant that actually help people. People And the, 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 the Casper Case 9 system is one of those things. Um, and over like 30, 30 or so years, um, the, the FDA approved a drug. The drug is called Casgevi. If I'm saying it, Casgevi, Casgevi, well, C-A-S, like Casgevi is a drug. I mean, it's not cheap, but what it's doing is exactly what Josh said. It's the idea is that you can take red blood cells out of patients, do this genetic manipulation, insert, um, I think it's effectively the the, the DNA for fetal hemoglobin, which carries more oxygen than adult hemoglobin, Mm -hmm. but put it in, immunosuppress the patients, and then put this stuff back in and have it work. Is it that fetal hemoglobin carries more oxygen or is it just release the oxygen easier? I think it carries more. Carries more? My, is my it, understanding. But you it, tell me. What, what did I, you find out okay, when you well, looked that up? Let me start by saying I learned this in my biochem class. So okay. I'm not totally sure if I remember it right. Mm-hmm. But fetal hemoglobin is only one of the subunits of hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. And so when you have the four subunits of normal hemoglobin, they have an open, and a, an open a relaxed state and a closed state. And this fetal hemoglobin can't do that because it's only one subunit, so it can't open or close. And so it just releases the oxygen easily, which would make sense if we're trying to deliver oxygen more readily to organs. There you and go. The other question I have is that Casgevi, this 
acts on the blood. So you take out the patient's blood, you do this technique, and you reinsert the blood into the patient, right? You were, the red blood cells, correct. Right. Now, the idea is that some of those cells will populate the bone marrow, right? Leading to the so, bone marrow producing. Right. And okay. that's, so that's why the, immunopro the immunosuppressive part is a big part of this. Because you've got to sort of knock out, in a sense, the, the bone marrow production of the abnormal red blood cells. So it's not the bone marrow production of the abnormal red blood cells. Yeah, you, with the at the at with the abnormal hemoglobin. Wait, do you mean like the they're knocking out the? So so you I'm going to make up some numbers. Yes. Here. Where do where do red blood cells come from? The bone marrow. In your bone marrow. Yeah. So you might have you have a lot of bone marrow, and I'm going to make up a number here. They're making a thousand red blood cells per unit time. Mm -hmm. You take some red blood cells out, right? You do this manipulation to them and you put them back in a person. You might have, relative to that 1,000, remember I'm making up numbers here, you might have six fixed. So it's a very, you know, it's, it's you know, it's a, 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 you know, right. not, a, not, not equivalent numbers. How do you get that small number of six to repopulate the bone marrow so that the bone marrow is not making 1,000, it's making the new stuff from such a small number? You do that by giving the patients immunosuppressive drugs, which are going to knock down the endogenous production of red blood cells. Now, all of a sudden, that six is like a bigger number that can start to take over and start to well, re the, repopulate the bone so marrow. So you're changing the genetic code of the red blood cells, but you're not changing the genetic code of the bone marrow that's making the defective well, that's the, red that's blood it, but, cells. But that's the point. You're gonna, so, it's going to take over. So are there any, the, is there the, any genetic editing of the bone marrow in this, or is it just the red blood cells? My, well, my understanding is it's the red blood okay. cells that are put are going to repopulate the bone marrow. Okay. It's almost similar to like bacterial transformation, mm. almost. Of yes, it's it's sort of antibiotic resistance, sort of in reverse, mm -hmm. or bacterial transformation. Interesting. In reverse, and the idea is this Castrovi technique to to do this is one of the the this and one of the things we're going to talk about the ethics of doing this because to doing this in patients is not cheap. Um, I saw some estimates, some where you know, to 500,000 to $1.5 million. Just for one? Patient. Just for one therapy? Yeah, so this is not something you go into like, you, you know, urgent GP. Care. Yeah, the urgent <laughs> chair is not going to be doing this. But there's going to be a whole lot of, and there are ethical questions about doing this um, and the in the use of the Casper Case 9 uh, technique in general. And we can come back and talk about these things after some underwriting announcements. So we'll be right back with Health 411. You're listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell, to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties, to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. 
Welcome back to Health 411. We are recording from the Digital Bronx Studios, and we are continuing our conversation of CRISPR-Cas9, which, Dan tells me, I have... I'm thinking about Casper the Friendly Ghost, and I have mispronounced a couple times, but it's CRISPR, like crisp. Um, um, and I'm going to try to say it. Clustered, regularly, interspaced, short, palindromic repeats. Hence, CRISPR is the, a much shorter way to say that. But this is a, a gene editing technique that's been used for a new FDA-approved drug. Um, this, you know, sickle cell disease is not the only uh, human disorder that has been targeted using this technique. It's just the first one that got approved. Can you guys think of some other ones that might have been used for this? Anemia. Well, sickle like, cell anemia. Like is iron deficiency. Well. No, 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 no. Something that that big, big, big. So HIV was one of the first things that was targeted with this, um, because the, in order for the AIDS, the the virus that causes AIDS to infect. Um, immune cells. Specific antigen, right? It, yeah. There's a CCR5 protein that has to be on the cell surface of cells. It's one of the cofactors for this virus to identify um, lymphocytes and to in inject the virus particles into them. Um, so, And then there are people who have abnormal CCR5 proteins that are sort of, even if they're infected with the HIV virus, don't get sick. They're sort of resistant. Um, so one of the first attempts of using this technology in people was that that disorder, um, and I'm, I'm, that research is still going on. But as far as I know, it hasn't been successful. I, I meant I didn't mean to say anemia. I meant to say hemophilia. They've been doing it for, <laughs> they've been doing it for hemophilia. Yes, hemophilia is another hemophilia, one. Like I said, there are different tech. There are different disorders, but none of them have reached the point where it's gotten to FDA approval. But this is the first one, actually, the FDA said this works. The FDA, well, the, well let, 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 so from the FDA announcement on De December 8th, 2023, um, it, these are the kinds of things that, that you can actually look at. The number of people is actually not that small. So what they did is they evaluated both the safety and effectiveness, which is part of the approval for Kestiovi, um, and it was done on, in a, on a, uh, on a, a multi multi-center trial in adult and adolescent patients with sickle cell disease. And I'll read from what it says. Patients had a history of at least two protocol-defined um, episodes of, of, you know, vascular problems of, of associated with sickle cell disease in the, in the previous two years. And, and what they were looking for is they would do this treatment um, and then they, they did it in a, in a total of 44 patients were treated with the CASGV. Of these 31 patients with efficient follow-up time of a couple years, 29, which is 93.5%, achieved an outcome of no more vascular occlusion events, which, which is pretty good. Uh, all, the, all the treated patients achieved successful engraftment with no patients experiencing graft failure or graft rejection. The most significant side effects were low levels of platelets, low levels of white blood cells, mouth sores, nausea, musculoskeletal pain, abdominal pain, vomiting, uh, fever, and low white blood cell headache and itching. So, Sounds like the general stuff you'd expect with immunosuppression. Well, with immunosuppression and a rebounding of the immune system, because when we come off the immunosuppressive drugs, there's an explosion of all these sort of things going on. Um, so, so remember, so the FDA approval go, got, has gone from basic science to phase one, phase two, phase three, all those kinds of things we've talked about in previous, like the process of science. But 44 patients with a 39 were successful. 
Um, it doesn't say there were any deaths. So the ones That's that weren't good. successful probably had some of these vascular occlusion events um, in the kinds of thing. But that that was enough to give it FDA approval. And so you said it was how what, what percent of people saw? Um, 93 0.5%. So what about the rest? Well, what, what about that 6.5%? Yeah, well, what, what it means are those 6.5% um, had some of those vascular occlusion vents for at some point, um, uh, but in the 24-month follow-up. Okay. Right? So, so, so it, maybe, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't as common as it used to be or as bad as well, it used well, to be. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the idea is you wouldn't expect, oh, it doesn't work. It's not 100%. Nothing's 100% in science. You know, it could be time. It could be the number of cells. There's a whole bunch of variables involved uh, when it comes to, so, you know, um, variability is inherent in nature, mm -hmm. which is the kind of thing that the, the probabilistic thinking, which is a hallmark of science and understanding the natural world, probability and variability is inherent in nature, which is why you guys need to take some, you know, biostatistics courses. Maybe we should, offer it, to, to maybe learn. should offer it at a different time so I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know, that's not my decision making. But the point being, uh, I forgot where I was going with this, is that um, it, it, so it's, it's, it's made FDA approval, but it's not the kind of thing that you can just like go to your doctor right now and get. It's a very, very expensive procedure, even though it's only one infusion. You do have to undergo these immunosuppressive treatments. Um, so is the so immunosuppressive treatments the majority of the cost then? I mean, it's hospital time, it's doctor time, yeah. it, it's everything. Is there like a price break? I don't, yeah, no? I, I, I got to just start Googling it yeah. and, you'll, and you'll see the cost of it. But that leads to some interesting questions. And we mentioned the word ethics. There are ethics about both the CRISPR-Cas9 technique and there are ethics about this kind of treatment. The, the, the one that we're sort of talking about now is the socioeconomic component of the ethical. So yes, this technique can be done. It's really, really expensive. Two point two million dollars. Is that is, it, is it that, that's what we're saying? Okay, two point two million dollars. This treatment, mm -hmm. right? Is Joe who runs the corner market who has sickle cell disease? Is he going to be a good you know a candidate of a two point two million dollar ticket, or is it going to be some multi millionaire with lots of money and power getting it? True. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there are ethics associated with that. Things tend to get cheaper, though, as they keep oh, innovating. You, and you would hope. In a few years, who knows? Well, in, 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 unless, unless, um, and <laughs> that guy, unless the company putting it out is run by that guy. That's true, too. <laughs> I forgot, I forgot, Shkreli. Shkreli. Yeah, yeah, Shkreli, yeah, right. Yeah, so, so you would like to think that. Um, but the companies that are developing this have probably put millions and millions and millions of dollars into research and development and all their sort of things. The regulatory process costs a lot of money. It's time. They'd like to make their money back, too. Right. So it's, it's about it, it, it. This is, you know, the technique can, like Dan said, can be done in an undergraduate biology lab. Mm -hmm. But doing it in the proper way, the controlled way to, you know, put it back into your body is. Um, I don't want no undergraduate blood in. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, <laughs> believe me, you don't want undergraduates. And this is something that a lot of students don't appreciate is when they're doing labs, is that some of you might end up with lab jobs doing these things. And, you know, you don't want to 
it's also like buying drugs. A lot of drugs that you can buy on the street are made by, you know, people who don't have the, don't even, might not even have an undergraduate chemistry lab kind of, and mistakes are made. Sure. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, synthetic heroin caused, you know, Parkinson's disease back in the 80s. Oh, I didn't know that. The, the, you know, the um, MTPT, you don't know that story? MTPT, I know yeah, MTPT. Yeah. yeah, well, that drug came, it was discovered because people were using synthetic heroin. And so these chemists were sort of stupid. They didn't let things come to the cool down enough before they went to the next step in the synthesis and they created that impurity mm. which basically lesioned these people's brains you know yeah, that, that's a neurodegenerative compound isn't it it that's is MMCB. and it was discovered from a, a, a synthetic heroin that was made in the 1980s wow. but that's a whole different story that we can we can talk about but it's somebody not paying attention to the steps of the of the of the, the processing. But let's get back here. So one of the ethical things associated with this gene editing is just going to be the cost of the treatment. And like Josh said, you would hope over time it gets more accepted, you know, it, it, the prices might come down. There are other issues that are just associated with gene editing in general. So if we are talking about taking somebody's, you know, red blood cells out, doing this treatment and then putting them back in, uh, that's we're sort of doing sort of adult cells, grown-up cells, right? Mm -hmm. Somatic cells of the body kinds of stuff. And then you can fi fix an existing disease. But it all, there's also the possibility that you can do genetic editing, let's say, in utero, mm -hmm. right? These are people who are not sick yet, might not even be born yet. Should you treat them, right? Should you treat a disease that hasn't developed yet? I mean, diagnosing an unborn fetus with a sickle cell... Is that difficult? Like that seems pretty difficult because how? Well, not just sickle cell. How about other any, things? How general, about yeah. how about diagnosing an unborn fetus with a hair color or a height or a, a whole bunch of other features that you may not want? Is it ethical to be able to do that? Um, I want to continue this discussion of ethics because it's really interesting because we want to talk about ethics of manipulating not just somatic cells but the ethics of manipulating gametes that could passed on to future generations. So we're gonna come back after some brief underwriting announcements to Health 411. You're listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing medicine 107.7 the bronc and 1077 the you're listening to health 411 i'm professor jonathan carp and i'm here with dan geller and josh brewer and we are going to continue our conversation and i promise to not monologue as much as we're talking about uh, crispr uh, cas9 uh, as, as being a technique that can manipulate sort of adult somatic cells to treat something like sickle cell disease. That's wonderful for somebody who has a disease that can, you know, can theoretically, you can change a genetic disease and have the body take over making healthy cells. Uh, 
you know, it raises questions uh, about uh, people identifying diseases in utero and treating them, um, which we could have a whole show, a show on that. That's pretty cool. We have a couple shows on that. Yeah, it, we could, mm-hmm. because it's the idea is if you could identify the genetic sequence of, you know, they do it on amniocentesis all the time. On, on what? Amniocentesis. Meaning? You take out fetal cells and you can phenotype them. Oh. Genotype them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, they, that's one way they diagnose a lot of uh, prenatal disorders in fetuses. You just collect the cells and mm. you get those maps. You've seen those maps, those chromosomal maps. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They can, yeah. you know, falsely color and all yeah. that. that, that it, they collect those it's from a, pr- a process called amniocentesis. Put a big needle, collect amniotic fluid. Blah, 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 blah. But anyway, but it's interesting because it, theoretically you could change the, the phenotypic characteristics of an unborn. Right. If you wanted hair color, eye color, a whole bunch of stuff that you can change. There's ethics involved with that. There's also that I wanted to talk about is that if you do it in the sort of these somatic cells, only the critter that you do it in is going to have the characteristics of the new genes. Sure. Right. What's the other option? What's the other thing that could happen? You're always looking at me funny. Right. Instead of looking at, you know, sort of terminally differentiated cells that are going to be in the bone marrow or be in the skin for skin color or something like that. What if you could identify the genetic sequence of like sperm and egg? Mm-hmm. What's interesting about that? As opposed to the process we've discussed so far. I mean, you could basically just pick the traits of a, of a new offspring. True, but you can do that by in, you know, in utero mm-hmm. genetic manipulation using these kind of techniques. The difference is if you just do that, let's say let's just use sickle cell disease. Let's say you treated somebody with sickle cell disease, you made it so they're they don't have the symptoms of it, no more vascular occlusion events, and they have children, right? Is that going to be passed on through the germline to their offspring? Yes. No, not no. not this not this manipulation. Why? Right? Because you haven't changed the cells that are make you've only changed these bone marrow cells. You haven't changed the oh, cells. You haven't changed the, 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 gotcha. the gametes, the yeah, cells yeah, yeah. that are gonna make the gametes. Sure. Right? There are genetic manipulations you can do to gametes that are going to affect the creation from the gamete, but not just them, but their offspring for generations. So mm-hmm. if you edit a gamete, all of the cells that will come from the gamete. We'll have that alteration. We'll have the as genetic well. alteration. So if you, you're effectively changing the germline mm-hmm. of the person, the animal, and some, you know, if you do it to a plant, that's great because now you've created like a new plant that might be resistant to vermin or resistant or, to insects. Like it was giant corn, right? Or you restore uh, sense, you restore the ability for it to um, be protected by a pesticide or something like that. Whatever, whatever, whatever it's going to be. That is something that, you know, the ethicists in the biomedical world um, have actually examined. And some countries have banned that kind of thing. Other countries are sort of iffy. Um, and other, company, other countries say, yeah, go ahead and try it. But the, it, ethically, you know, changing the germline could change whether it's a zebrafish, a fruit fly, a mouse, whatever, pick your pick your plant, mm-hmm. pick your critter. If, you know, is that ethical for that or is it ethical for people? Guys are looking at me funny. Am I making mm-hmm. this up? No, 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 it makes sense. What do you think? Um, are you familiar with um, Plutarch's Ship of Theseus? That concept? No, learn me. 
That's a cool concept. I know what that yeah, is. Yeah, so Plutarch's it's, it's, concept is that there's this ship, right? And one of the boards rots out, and you replace that single board. Is it the same ship? Most people would say, sure, but how many boards can you replace while it's still the same ship? I think that first board I would liken to something like this CRISPR-Cas9 replacing um, the gene for sickle cell, but how many genes can we replace and still have it be the same person <laughs> that it was meant to that, be? I think it's... That, that's, that's, that's a different question than I'm asking, but that, that, that is a very interesting thought experiment, mm -hmm. right? At what point does it become something else? Mm -hmm. how, how many... Um, yeah, how many changes in DNA and RNA proteins can you do until you've created a new species? You got to define human at that point. What is a human? Well, that's what I mean. I, yeah. I, I just, new species I, or I, even species. just different person. I think it's it, it brings up a lot of questions about what we even are as people. Is it just your brain? Is it your DNA? Is like well, yeah. it's a very large question. Well, obviously. Well, but. It, uh, I'm going to make a connection that's sort of loose, but it's the idea is that, that if you have somebody with a brain tumor, let's say they have a, a brain tumor in the amygdala and has uncontrollable rage, mm -hmm. right? And they get pissed off and they kill somebody sure. from uncontrollable rage, right? And then in the process of studying them, you realize they have this brain tumor. And then you take out the brain tumor, and now the person who did the crime is no longer susceptible to, you know, out, you know, this rage. I think that was Sapolsky's it, famous. Yeah, um, I'm not making it up, but he didn't make it up either. It, no, yeah. it came before him. But it's the idea of, you know, yeah, he's guilty, but now he knows what he did. He understands it before there was no control over mm -hmm. it. Is it the same? Is it the same person or is he, you know, I mean, I, kind of I think you're, so you're asking, you're asking all these kinds of questions, but coming back to this, you know, the gene editing and the CRISPR, you can go back to these ships. At what point is a different, is it a different ship? I think you could argue but I'm, I'm asking the question, is it ethical to purposely change the, the, the gene line of like humans or other animals? As you know, I mean, people have been doing it with plants to engineer mm -hmm. plants that have certain characteristics. People have been doing it, you know, for, you know, thousands of years with dogs, but it's sort of like natural breeding mm -hmm. kinds of dog processes. But now instead of letting nature do its thing, we can, intervene with these tools of DNA technology, tools of molecular biology, and purposely target genes to turn on, turn off, change them, mm -hmm. kinds of thing. And some of these things can be done to permanently change all the offspring down the line from that, from that point on. And is that an ethical, okay thing to do? Define ethical. Oh, you tell me. Well, you're the one who posed the question. Should it be done? Should, should it? it be? Should, it's like you know, if you have research that's been done in unethical means, should you even use that research? And well, the, the, the 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 worldwide community says no. has said, yeah, no. If you do unethical research, that should not be used. It shouldn't be valued. It shouldn't be propagated. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like you know the, the the stuff that the Nazis did on their prisoners, right? We that not well, good. We don't, we don't use that. We don't yeah. cite Nazis no. in our research. No, you know no, what I mean? nor sh nor should you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kinds of stuff. Um, you know, and the governments of the world, the ethical uh, kinds of things in the world um, are studying these kinds of things, trying to figure out what should be done, what shouldn't be done, um, kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, right now, as it becomes to sickle cell disease, the, the biggest drawback is not the ability to change, you know, the production of hemoglobin in these cells. The biggest drawback now is the cost. 
right? Mm -hmm. That's going to be like sort of the rate limiting step in its use. Um, but you're right. Hopefully over time, the numbers are going to get smaller to be more and more in practice. Um, at least in our, the U.S., the number of people with, you know, sickle cell disease is relatively small um, compared to the number of people in our country. Um, but there's a lot of things like that that are, that, that the, you know, that the world can look at. And it's going to be not just for sickle cell disease. It's going to be for things like, can we engineer people so they're not susceptible to the HIV virus, mm -hmm. you know, through the changing the CCR5 gene? Does that count as a vaccine? Oh, no, not technically. Not technically, Because right. a vaccine is you're, you're exposing the immune system to something. So if it sees it again, it's going to have a greater response and neutralize it. This is just a new gen piece of genetic code that will... It could change all humans. All Conceptually, humans. if Conceptually, you did this to right. all humans, you could change the CCR5 protein in all humans. This is the you new could frontier. Change, the new frontier. It, it is. Gene therapy is... is yeah, I mean, you could there's a lot of ethics involved. You could it. envision if we're trying to do some space travel that there's a lot of ionizing radiation in space. If you could imagine that if I was to do, if I was to take a human and take him to Pluto, they would probably be pretty susceptible to something like cancer. You could envision. Well, you, you know what I mean. Well, yeah, you'd like you, you you don't know, right? The 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 whole idea of space travel and you know. Uh, isolating the gene pool of like who do you pick and all those numbers how do you control the breeding there that, that that's a that would be a really other really really cool thing to think about that people mm -hmm. are not the, the common persons I think not thinking about that in the process of what Josh studied is like speciation mm -hmm. like what it's restricted breeding and that's what essentially you're doing um, but those are all other topics Dan that we're going to have to study uh, or talk about some other time because we're coming to the end of this program this is 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com thank you for listening to Health 411 this program is part of Capital Health and Ryder University's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare we hope today's conversation is giving you things to think about about sickle cell disease, CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing techniques, and um, even some of the ethical issues associated in employing these things. If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077 The Bronc is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff as well as advanced technology.